Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Hey, welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. As we uh, come to you in the final time uh, in the regular season here in 2021, as crazy as that is. My name is Tyler Mon, joined from New York City by Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra. Gentlemen, how are you? Good. Good, Tyler. We are here. We have moved venues this week. We are in the Jimmy Fox room, Ah, which uh, honestly, Ben, I don't know if you agree with me on this. This might be the most beautiful corner office uh, meeting room in all of Manhattan. We are we are currently looking right down the barrel of Sixth Avenue. Uh, I can see the Freedom Tower from here and we are at 50th Street. So it's a long distance down the way. Uh, As always, we have Radio City right to our left. I know I'm painting a picture uh, in an audio form for a non-visual podcast. That's why you need to paint it, though. That's good. Yes, this is true. Yeah, yellow cabs for days that we can see down the way. This is just, it is gorgeous. What do you think, Ben? Oh, 100%. Absolutely iconic. You know, New York City, well, that could be a whole separate podcast on <laughs> yeah. the, the benefits and drawbacks of living in New York City. But yeah, to walk into a conference room to take this podcast and turn to my left and just see such an iconic uh, New York City landscape and view Avenue of the Americas a straight shot down it does make me happy and it makes me feel like hey this is pretty cool and I feel like that uh, very um, fittingly puts us into the mindset of where we kind of are in uh, the close of the 2021 season which is hey we we made it um, as you're looking straight down you know Avenue of the Americas and it's a, a spectacle that looks a lot more normal than it did this time uh, last year especially this time you know 14 15 months ago um, guys we're, we're getting so close to the end of the season we're gonna touch on that here coming up in a little bit but um, Ben you got a chance to, to get on the road uh, for just a short trip. Um, both distance-wise and uh, duration-wise, but hit Somerset last week uh, for a, a trip to see the new AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. Tell us about uh, the trip. I know it was something that you had planned before, and then it kind of got pushed back, but how was the Somerset trip? Yeah, it was great. It was very memorable. Um, TD Bank Ballpark, home of the Somerset Patriots. Uh, it's the fifth ballpark I was able to get to this year um, that I had not visited before, you know, 182 career, so that'll be the number I – I have uh, going into the off season and uh, I'm really glad I got to go. It was on my agenda, vaguely speaking uh, all season. And then I planned to go the last week of August to visit the Somerset Patriots in their first season as a double a Yankees affiliate. And, you know, the weather wasn't that great. 
on that uh, last Friday in August. And it was like, hey, since this is not part of a larger trip, I'm going to postpone this till there's better weather. Maybe that was kind of ironic because then less than a week after that, the remnants of Hurricane Ida hit that region. Well, it hit a lot of regions, but it hit central Jersey, uh, Somerset County, Bridgewater Township, where uh, the ballpark is located very, very hard. The Raritan River is essentially right beat. Well, there's a train tracks uh, behind the ballpark and uh, the Raritan River beyond that. And that river overflowed and flooded the ballpark, flooded the parking lot, you know, completely submerged cars. You know, that was a lot of the players' cars in the parking lot. The team was on the road at the time. Um, the waters went into the ballpark, completely submerged the, the playing field at depths of, you know, six, seven, eight feet, and went all the way into the seventh row of the seating bowl. That's September 2nd. So my first thought then, well, my first thought then is this larger concern for the area and uh, the, the people involved. Um, on a selfish level, my thought is, well, it doesn't look like I'll be getting to Somerset this year, given the state of the ballpark here on September 2nd. And the team uh, was coming up on a six-game homestand to close out their uh, home schedule with the Hartford Yard Goats. The first three games of those were shifted to Hartford. But meanwhile, work got underway. The waters receded. All hands on deck cleanup operation led by groundskeeper Dan Perner you know, as many 30, 40 people at a time, you know, working long days, cleaning up the ballpark. Um, you know, a lot of it was just as uh, the groundskeeper, uh, Dan Perner told me, you know, a lot of it was just hosing, you know, the, the, the grass is just, you know, mud and gunk and sediment everywhere. So just hosing everything off, um, you know, putting the padding back on the walls. And that's sort of a puzzle piece on its, you know, in and of itself, because you have all these different little disjointed pieces of padding. It's not necessarily a uniform thing, given the the layout of the, the, the playing field and where the padding goes and on and on. There was a lot to do. So this past Friday, September 10th was their first game back to play three, their three final home games at home. And uh, so not only did I just get to go see a new ballpark that I'd never been to, it was in this very memorable and you know, frankly, fairly inspiring uh, situation that the team was able to return and I think it speaks to a lot uh, about the, the team, the front office, of course, the groundskeeper, um, but the whole front office. So talking to different front office members before the game, uh, some local politicians, uh, the groundskeeper about how this all came together. I was like, well, this is a story in and of itself, in and of itself. And that story on what the team did to get back ready to play eight days after devastating flooding is up on MILB.com right now. And i Hope people check it out and, uh, you know, also look at some pictures and video to get a sense of this and, and, and read all about it. Beyond that, yes, then it was just also a minor league baseball game. And as these things go, it's weird how normal it felt, you know, once it got started. If you were at that ballpark and didn't know it had flooded, you wouldn't have known on this past Friday night. So it was just seeing a minor league ball game. Um, the ballpark was built, you know, in the late 90s. Um, Reminded me quite a bit, honestly, you know, it's also in central Jersey of the double A team that the Somerset Patriots replaced the Trent Thunder, uh, just in kind of the architecture and style of it. Um, you, you enter, you know, main entrance home plate and are right into, uh, you know, full view of the playing field on the concourse. It's not a 360 degree concourse. It goes, you know, back up around roughly, you know, towards the foul poles on both sides, you know, fairly no frills brick exterior, um, but a really a pleasant place to see a ball game and um, you know, one I really enjoyed. And I think me growing up in the Philadelphia area, have family in central Jersey. Um, it felt very familiar to me. Uh, I guess just the overall landscape and uh, the Jersey setting and the, 
you know, types of people at the ballpark. Just, I kind of had to remind myself a few times, you've never been here before because there was something about it that just felt from my own history and experience as a a place I'd sort of already been. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what was the atmosphere like there? Because you were there at least a, a little bit after it reopened, but not that much after. Was there any feeling of like, oh, this is great that we're back this quickly amongst the fans, amongst the people you were talking to. Like, I know you said if you didn't know that the park was flooded, you couldn't tell. But in terms of just general atmosphere, um, what was that like, both as a new ballpark that you'd never seen before, but also just in a return after what seemed like could have been a season-ending storm? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously a lot of people were really happy to get back out to the ballpark, especially after the the stress of that week. Um and, you know, you, you want to keep in mind when you're celebrating baseball's return and, oh, I can't believe this cleanup job. You know, it's trying to keep, keep in mind, you know, people lost their lives and many people lost their homes. And, you know, I didn't want to give too much credence to like everything's great again just because there's a team here. But symbolically, I think we all know this about sports and I think especially baseball because it's, you know, the most daily of the sports and this, the most accessible of the sports just in terms of attending a game that, a team playing in the wake of any kind of tragedy, whether it's, uh, you know, a weather related tragedy or, you know, something that happened in the community, uh, you know, whatever that may be. Um, it means a lot because it's a sense of normalcy. It's a, it's a place to gather. And I think there was very much that feeling then um, one of gratitude. And I, I think the Patriots, from what I can tell, you know, I never went uh, when they were in the independent Atlantic league, but uh, for 20 years, you know, they, I think, built up a really good fan base in the Atlantic League. And um, you just get the sense that the fans there uh, are pretty committed to the team. And switching over to the Yankees affiliation just made a good relationship for them even better uh, because, you know, it's Central Jersey. You have a lot of Yankees fans in that general area. And the team is, uh, you know, right in the thick of the uh, Northeast League uh, pennant race. So, uh, for the subset of fans, which I would say in Somerset is higher than other markets, you know, who, who know what's going on, uh, you know, on the field, you know, rooting for Yankees affiliates, aware that, uh, you know, the team's in the postseason hunt and, um, you know, wanting the postseason even more now, just with the story of the ballpark flooding. And not only are they able to re- were they able to return for their last three home games, but if they can make it to the playoffs, then there's a coda, uh, you know, on this long, strange, transitional, sometimes traumatic and perhaps ultimately triumphant season. Well, Ben, uh, as we make this push toward the final weekend of the regular season, we uh, switch coasts and we head out to the West Coast for our interview segment this week, um, where one team is uh, is making a big push uh, promo-wise for the end of the season. That's the Stockton Ports, and uh, we got a chance to catch up with Stockton today. We're recording this on Thursday the 16th. Coming up tomorrow, uh, a very Stockton night as they will honor their their local heritage crop. Tell us about what's coming up in the interview today. Yeah. The uh, asparagus is the asparagus. No, I almost just said asparagus is the Stockton capital of the world. And, um, <laughs> you know, By transitive property, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, probably not it, wrong. But also, in addition to that, Stockton, California is the asparagus capital of the world. And uh, we're going to talk about the team, the Stockton Ports Asparagus Night uh, with Pat Filippone, the president of the team. And um what goes into celebrating asparagus at the ballpark? You know, I've visited Stockton myself twice, um, you know, designated eaters getting asparagus dogs, asparagus hot dogs, um, you know, uh, fried asparagus being a ballpark staple. They incorporate it into the the concessions on a regular basis, but one night a year, they go even extra hard. 
extra fragrant for asparagus. And that's uh, coming up. And we're going to learn all about Stockton, California, the asparagus capital of the world, and what the hometown ports do to celebrate that very important and proud distinction. It hit me about halfway through that. Why, why don't they call them the stock? S-T-A-L-K. A-L-K. Ah, the Stockton. Stockton. Guys. Why, are we, like, why, why is this off? Wait, we're still recording. Guys. Wait, are we still recording? I'm recording, but right, yeah. we're going to keep this in because that's a great observation. I, I'm I honestly going to make that the show title this week. <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here on the show before the show podcast, I, Benjamin Hill, Co-hosts Sam Dykstra and Tyler Mon are joined by a special guest, President of the Stockton Ports, Pat Philippone. And um, this coming Saturday, the anti-penultimate day of the regular season, the Stockton Ports are hosting their annual Asparagus Night promotion. This has been something they've been doing at the ballpark for a long time, celebrating Stockton's status as the asparagus capital of the world. So we thought we'd have Pat on to uh, you know, talk more about asparagus because how often do you get to do a segment on asparagus, especially on a, a sports podcast? So not, not very often. So we're breaking new ground per usual. First and foremost, Pat, thanks for being here today. Thanks guys for having me. I appreciate it. So Stockton, California, asparagus capital of the world. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on uh clearly this uh, important relationship between vegetable and city. Yeah. The, that moniker is very uh, proudly held within this community. I mean, Stockton is uh, like every, like every market as a minor team has a unique characteristic, but Stockton really has two is the port, which we, you know, honor in our normal name, uh, the, the seafaring industry. And we're so far inland, we're the farthest inland port in the state. Um, but then it's the asparagus capital of the world, the agriculture, piece in this part of the country is obviously huge as everyone knows but asparagus is particularly grown in Stockton been celebrated in the community from festivals to you name it uh, restaurants are all across town have their own take on asparagus and uh, you know we joined in the fun um, uh, eight years ago really we really got serious about it but we've always served asparagus at the ballpark since the new ballpark opened in 05 or was new obviously we're 16 years into it so it's always one of our more uh, popular, unique items. And there's times where we run out and you hear about it. Uh, so, uh, you know, we've always kind of embraced uh, the, the fun of asparagus, the proud uh, tendencies of this market to embrace the product. And uh, we just like to have fun with it. And that's leads to our asparagus theme nights and our asparagus name. And, you know, what we're doing uh, tomorrow night, we're excited about. Yeah, Absolutely. And um, in terms of really blowing this out, I mean, as you said, serving asparagus at the ballpark, uh, you know, since it opened. Um, but once you decided to, you know, have the theme jerseys and go, go that route, um, yeah, how do you design an identity, you know, temporary or not, around asparagus, which is, um, 
I don't want to say asparagus is unpleasant looking. I think it looks very pleasant, but you know, a long stocky green vegetable doesn't seem like it gives itself over to the most uh, just obvious design possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I not having an artistic bone in my body. Uh, I'll kind of tell you the thought process behind it. Then uh, the experts that we uh, hired to do it and did a great job. Um, so the ports, which we've, you know, we have our claim to Mudville and Casey at the Bat saga story. Um, I know there's a debate about that, which Ben, we've talked about before and you've written about before. Um, so we've always had a classic look at baseball and a standard red, white, and blue uh, look. We identified when we, uh, when Stockton was awarded the American city of the year in like 2002. And cause we always had imagery of the major league team prior to then. Um, so we wanted to go red, white, and blue and put our mantle on traditional baseball in Stockton. Um, so move forward as we're going to 2013 season, we said, Hey, let's do an offshoot brand branding effort that we can embrace other parts of Stockton. We want to keep the all American basic baseball look with red, white, and blue, the city's colors, but we want to integrate, you know, the, the, the stevedores, the ports, which we were named after, then also asparagus. So we bounced around a lot of ideas internally. Uh, I had a great staff at the time, still do, but at the time um, they were really into getting it out there as something new. So at that point we hired, I don't know if they were called Brandios yet, or if they were still plan B, but you guys know those guys, um, the foremost experts in this area. And we kind of threw at them what we were thinking about. They embraced it like they always do in these projects and uh, came up, did some research themselves. And uh, they came up with a bunch of uh, logos and branding that integrated the dock worker, five o'clock dock and asparagus. And they mixed the two perfectly, I think, with the stevedore guy holding a spear of asparagus. And then we had some offshoot, just asparagus um, branding as well. And that's where we developed the asparagus name and did some mascot stuff and running asparagus and all kinds of stuff. And the market loved it because um, you had... We kept the classic look, but we had the alternate look that delved into specifics in town, the gritty kind of part of Stockton that people are proud of. And at the end of the day, what's not to like about asparagus? So uh, it all worked out very well. And when you guys are talking about incorporating it at the ballpark, talking about logos here and stuff like that, but how do you guys incorporate a vegetable? Like we don't think about (laughs) being at the ballpark and literally eating your vegetables. Like this feels like something my mom would try to force on me when I was six. Um, I know everybody around that area is proud of the asparagus. Why shouldn't they be? But when you're trying to make it into a ballpark staple, you got like you guys are, how are you guys able to do that? Well, it's, we, so we started with a couple um, traditional things. So we, we developed uh, the running guest character. We worked with Dave Raymond back when he was really into the mascots, creating the costumes and he did some cool costumes for us with the uh, various asparagus, three different ones, like a chocolate covered, a fried one. And, you know, we did the racing, the mascots and had the mascots around. Um, I know the Wilmington team did stuff with a celery guy popping out of the, out of the scoreboard at one point. So, you know, think that we, we had that in the background of, that was a cool little imagery thing. And we could, if you can do celery, asparagus is way cooler than celery. So you know, we kind of did an offshoot on that. And then that morphed into just having a Gus guy run around. And then we developed a female Gus and I, I jotted down her name. I'm sorry. I always forget her name, but um, 
and I can't seem to find it right now. Augustina, that's what we call her. Augustina. Oh, oh, we had yeah. Gus and Augustina. So, um, you know, in COVID, they kind of disappeared on us a little bit, but uh, they're going to be out in force tomorrow night at the game. And, uh, you know, it's just just having fun. I mean, again, it's, it's it, you know, you can't take having an asparagus as a theme too serious. Um, you know, so we just have fun with it and uh, have these two characters bopping around, taking pictures and just being present and, and put a smile on piece, people's face. Again, I always fall back and what's not to like about asparagus. So, uh, you know, it just makes it fun and unique and ironic. That you guys were in on the the food trend so early, and you know, with apologies to to Lehigh Valley and Fresno and those others, there's a lot of the the food trends that I feel like a lot of places can claim. A lot of places can claim bacon. I'm sorry, Lehigh Valley tacos are are a, a universal thing now. But for asparagus, I feel like not many people probably knew outside of the Stockton area of like, oh, that's the world capital of asparagus. What was the kind of the national reaction when the merchandise sales started and people started getting wind of it and reacting to it? People were pumped because I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not born and raised in Stockton, so I had no idea until I came here. And uh, I actually had a guest from out of town at the game last night. Same thing. Like uh, I was talking to him about it. He had no idea about it either. The reaction was fantastic. Like five years ago when ESPN was still doing um, like their feature on the minor league teams, like on Saturday morning, they featured the, the Gus branding and our logos. And it was amazing how, the sales that generated just the calls and the emails we got that people were just pumped about it. Cause I agree. I mean, there's no, I think there's somewhere in Florida that grows asparagus quite a bit, but they know that we're the capital. So there's no, there's like no argument like Casey and the bat is with Stockton and Western mass. So um, people just defer to it and uh, we're proud of it. Maybe other people laugh about it, but we're proud. We laugh about it, but we're proud about it as well. And uh, it is unique and it's something that uh, we enjoy embracing. Yeah, and a lot of those teams that Tyler just mentioned in terms of, like, the Fresno Tacos, who are now in your league, have, like, Taco Tuesdays, where they play every Tuesday as the Tacos. Um, you guys – the Asparagus is kind of like a special event for you guys, but have you ever talked about expanding it out once a month, once a week, anything like that? We have. I mean, we do the 5 o'clock doc theme every Friday during the season, and that's gone really well. We have talked about doing Asparagus – uh in 2020 we were going to do a full weekend this year with the truncated season we said we'd pick a night uh so I, I think you'll see us do a full weekend next year and moving into the future and get a, even more creative and dig into it um but i know the fresno branding has gone great for them and um you know i think ben you had when you came and visited an asparagus taco so we, we whip those out every once in a while so um we're gonna have those tomorrow night ourselves so we're gonna kind of mix the uh the taco theme in with our asparagus and have some fun with that too. Yeah. And during the game itself, are there um, you know, special guests that come out to the ballpark or maybe big players in the local asparagus industry? We, we invite people from the ag com, uh, community to come to the game. So there's, there's some that will come out um, and have fun. I mean, we, well, the mayor's not gonna be able to make it this year. We always like to get the mayor out and do some stuff around that also. So it is something that, everyone has fun with. Um, we do need to find, I wish there was an asparagus spokesperson for the country and they should come from Stockton. Maybe we'll create that moving forward. But, uh, you know, there's no, uh, particular name I could drop with you right now, but we'll have some people out to embrace the local community and the ag community as well. And would you say, I mean, I guess being the asparagus capital of the world, is this the most, uh, you know, prominent food that you associate with Stockton or are there other, uh, 
more local regional specialties that you think you could uh, maybe turn into separate promos? Uh, asparagus is far and away the most uh, local regional one that we have. I mean, the ag industry in the central Valley California is huge. You know, obviously Modesto is the nuts, right? I mean, there's, so there's nuts down in that part of the, you know, uh, the next County South of us Cherry, There's a lot of cherry farms in uh, Stockton. So you never know. Maybe we can come up with some of the cherries, but obviously, um, George Washington was playing with cherries uh, before Stockton was a city, so we can't claim that as our own, but uh, you never know. We may get have some fun with that as we move forward as well. But asparagus is, uh, I think it's never ending what we can do with the asparagus theme, no question. Never ending options and opportunities for asparagus. <laughs> well, this year's uh, 2021 iteration taking place Friday, September 17th, tomorrow. Uh, for us right now doing this segment. So, um, and if you're listening to this podcast and maybe the game hasn't started yet, get out to Stockton, celebrate the asparagus. And uh, Pat, hope you have a great asparagus night. And you know, thanks for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks you for asking. And uh, good luck going into this last weekend of the season. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Moving along on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Thanks for uh, tuning in wherever you found us. Uh, we got all of our past episodes on all of your favorite podcasting services and also at MILB.com slash podcast and uh, all kinds of good stuff to get to before we wrap up this week's edition of the show. And that brings us to three strikes here in segment number three. And we've got uh, a big time uh thing for you to utilize this weekend minor league baseball has uh deemed that for the rest of this 2021 campaign milb tv is free for the rest of the season so that is strike one on this week's episode of the show before the show uh you can catch any milb tv game from now through the end of the season for free uh this is always fun there are a ton of guys who are still in the minors who are finishing off this season uh on really really good notes and uh guys who are very fun to watch as we get closer and closer to the end of the season but sam this is a this is a fun little september uh surprise with the season going later into september and now a whole bunch of prospects on showcase on free MLB. LB TV. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of guys are ending the season well. I feel like that's especially true this year. Usually we're talking, especially in September, but late August of guys kind of running out of gas and uh, you know, things kind of coming to an end and really winding down. Uh, I feel like there's been a lot of the top 100 guys are really ending on solid notes. And this free MILB.TV offer is a great way to check out these guys. Um, MILB.TV has never been bigger. It's never been easier to watch. It's never been clearer. Um, so if you were holding off on this year for whatever reason, and you know, you may have many of them, that's totally fine, but now is a great opportunity to check in. Maybe it's something you want to try for 2022. Uh, one thing we should note is that MILBD.TV, it's not only free for the rest of the season, it's also free for the rest of the playoffs, Yeah, uh, which is huge. And that's great. So if your team is 
eligible for MILB.TV. It's not like every playoff series is, is going to be televised, but if they had milled TV during the regular season, they will have it for the playoffs as well, and it will be free. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun to watch out. There's one thing that uh, – there's a couple series that I'm keeping my eye on, and Tyler, I'll give you one in, here in a minute, but at Loe West, the San Jose Giants and Fresno Grizzlies are yeah. playing each other this week. That's just the way the schedule worked out. But they're also already clinched, both of them. So they'll be playing each other in the Loe West Championship Series next week. They're going to get – real comfortable with one another. Uh, we've talked a lot this summer about how is the six game series going to work? Our team's going to get bored of each other or testy with one another. For the most part, it seems like that hasn't happened, but uh, if that's ever going to happen, it's going to be between San Jose and Fresno. And those two teams, not only are they making the playoffs, but they're also loaded. Uh, we talked about Zach Bean in the past, the top Rockies prospect. He's leading that Fresno team for much of the season, but really coming on strong here in the second half. And Luis Matos, uh, on the San Jose side, uh, entering the week, he had gone nine for his last nine. He'd reached in his, each of his last 13 plate appearances. I haven't checked in to see where that is now, but uh, Luis Matos, a lot of us were really high on. We just need to see a full season out of him. We've gotten that now. He is a top 100 prospect. So keep an eye on the outfield in that series. And one other one that's kind of similar to that, um, we've discussed the AAA final stretch before. We'll probably get into that more next week and beyond when that's going to be you know, the only rodeo in town uh, going into October in the minor leagues. But one series that it will actually be two series is Iowa and Omaha. Um, they're playing each other in the final week of the regular season, and then they'll be playing each other in the second week of the AAA final stretch. Omaha, if you've been listening to the show at all, you know they are loaded with the Royals prospects and Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, and MJ Melendez. Iowa just recently got Brennan Davis, the top prospect in the Cubs system. He homered twice in his first two at-bats. Tyler, you wrote the story about it. What uh, stood out from your conversation with Brennan Davis? Yeah, Brennan Davis, I, uh, when he answered the phone, or when I answered the phone, I can't remember who called whom, uh, I said, so I guess the AAA is uh, is pretty easy, right? And he said, yeah, not really. Um, but I think for him, <laughs> it was just a, a case of, you know, being able to, to get to that level, kind of get some of the nerves out of the way. He sort of laughed his way through describing his first two at-bats. He had homers in his first two at-bats, as noted. Um, and he said, you know, in the first one, uh, I really got myself in a hole. I was down 0-2 um, and ended up getting a, a pitch that kind of hung up, a breaking ball that I took out. And then he said in his second at-bat, he said the, the pitch before – the pitch that he hit out for a second home run. He said he took just an awful swing uh, and then was able to, to stay in that at bat and crank a, another home run. It's pretty exciting. I mean, for, for Cubs fans, obviously this has been a, a frustrating year and losing, um, you know, pretty much everybody who was part of the core of the world series championship team. Uh, but you do have guys like Brendan Davis who are coming up and uh, I really liked his approach to being a triple a, which is, he said, I'm going to use this as a, as a learning experience. If I go into next year and I have this under my belt, kind of knowing what the highest level of the minor leagues is like, um, if I can conquer this, then I know I'm going to be ready when my name gets called to, to make it up to Chicago. So, uh, he's definitely viewing the last few weeks of this season in the right light. And, uh, it was really good to, to get a chance to talk to him. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more like him here in, in the next couple of days or a week or so. Uh, because of the AAA final stretch, it is essentially the regular season. Stats are counting towards the regular season, but it's everyday baseball. And if you have a player at AA who you want to get a little extra look at, uh, yeah, it's a it's a postseason tournament. But calling them up to AAA, getting that them those couple extra at bats, those little extra innings, or like you said with Brendan Davis, just the experience of being in AAA, that's going to have some value, even if it's just for a couple of days. So would not be surprised if he isn't the last uh, big name to head up to the top level. 
before the 2021 season is out. I've got my eyes on Double uh, A Central. So we we explained obviously Triple A final stretch is the one uh, exception to the the minor league postseason picture this year. Everywhere else, top two teams in the league will move on to the league championship series. Here's how things stack up in Double A Central in the North Division of that league. Wichita has the best record in the league at sixty six and fifty. Arkansas is three games back at sixty three and fifty three. Northwest Arkansas is three and a half back at sixty two and fifty three. And Tulsa is four back at 62 and 54 in the South division. Frisco's running away with that division, but that does not necessarily mean that postseason play is in Frisco's future. They're at 62 and 53, five and a half games ahead of Amarillo. Uh, but coming up this weekend, there's some interesting matchups, especially Arkansas on the road at Wichita. That's where Julio Rodriguez is with that Arkansas team. Uh, so he just from a prospect standpoint is probably the guy who's most exciting to keep an eye on in that league. Uh, but you look at you know, just that North division itself, four teams within four games of each other. And then poor Springfield, which is 23 games out. Uh, and then even in the South, Frisco isn't really being challenged for the division, but Frisco is right in the hunt uh, for that second postseason spot. If Wichita closes out the first spot, they're right in the middle um, with Northwest Arkansas, even with that 62 and 53 record. So uh, keep an eye on those five teams. Two of those teams will move on and uh, that'll be a, a fun one. Uh, here coming up for this 2021 postseason picture. We already do have a handful of teams who have clinched their postseason berths. Uh, Sam noted, of course, Fresno uh, was, I believe, the first of all teams to clinch its postseason berth. They'll move on and face uh, San Jose in the Low A West Championship Series. Sam, who else um, is sticking out to you as far as the postseason clinchers have already gone? I know Mississippi was the first team in from Double A, uh, the the Triple A landscape very different, but Double A, High A, and Low A were starting to get a little bit clearer picture. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, one that that stands out to me is the most immediate one that clinched just Wednesday night uh, with Eugene in the San Francisco Giants system clinching one of the high A West spots. High A West is actually an interesting league this year. Uh, If you've been following that at all, they only have six teams. um, So there is only one division. There isn't this confusion like there are in some of the other leagues in which a team could win its division and not go to the playoffs. Uh, there's only six teams here. They've gotten to know each other very well, but Eugene is the first one to clinch a playoff spot there. The thing that that's big for me in that scenario is it's more, it, it allows for more opportunities to see Marco Luciano, uh, the top giants prospect who got called up. This is, he's 20 years old right now. He just turned 20 on September 10th. Um, he's, he's, pretty much struggled at Eugene. I think he'll tell you that. I think the Giants will tell you that. But he is getting there pretty young. This is still his age 19 season. So I think a little extra time, you know, as many as five extra games in a meaningful environment could be huge for Marco Luciano up there in Eugene. Um, So keeping an eye on that one. And then Seth Corey, I think, was their starting pitcher the other night when they clinched. I think a little extra time with him uh, could be huge as well. So Eugene is definitely what I'm keeping my eye on there. It looks like they're probably going to play Spokane. Spokane currently has a four and a half game lead over Everett, uh, but we'll we'll see if things hold in, in that division or not. Um, so definitely keep an eye out on that one. Low A Southeast finals are set between Bradenton and Tampa. Uh, so that, that'll be another one that we already know is going to happen next week. And, and there's still so much to be determined. Tyler, you just met, mentioned like one of the closest races we have. By the time you guys hear this on Friday, there's still lots to play with three days left in the season at Double A, High A, and Low A. So keep an eye on MILB.com. We have a running story on all the clinchings that are happening every day, every night. 
Um, it, it goes all the way back to, I think, like you said, uh, September 7th is the, the first one we had when Fresno clinched. Now, nine days later, more teams are clinching every day. And, uh, you know, by next Monday, we'll have a pretty good idea of what the postseason format will look like uh, at double A, high A, and low A. And uh, for strike three on this week's episode of the show before the show, we're talking uh, one of the most impressive breakout prospects in the minor leagues this year. And that is the number 15 overall prospect in baseball and the top prospect in the New York Yankees organization. A guy we talked about just a couple of weeks ago uh, with a milk TV recommendation, but currently with high a Hudson Valley in that Yankee system, the 30th overall pick in 2019, the shortstop Anthony Volpe, Anthony this year, 291, 394, 602 is his slash line in 51 games with Hudson Valley. That followed 54 games with Tampa at low A in which he hit 302, 455, 623. Uh, He has been outstanding so far this season. He has hit 28 home runs. He has driven in 96 runs in his career uh, through three seasons. He only played 34 games with Pulaski during that debut year. But now it's 139 games professionally, and this dude's got 28 home runs. Uh, He has been really impressive. 26 of those have come this season. Um, Sam, for, for Anthony Volpe and for kind of the anatomy of breakout prospects, uh, in this season. What does his season say about where he is and how quickly he really can make this climb? He's only 20 years old, but man, that dude seems like he is very much on a fast track now. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why we're making this the final strike is I have a feature coming up on MLB.com about him. I got to speak to Anthony Volpe for about 20 minutes. He was very gracious with his time. Uh, great kid, great mega, lots of stories to tell, but uh, I caught up with him at Hudson Valley this week. And just to figure out, like, what happened to this breakout? Uh, you mentioned the power is the biggest thing that stands out to pretty much everybody, and that includes the Yankees. Uh, they thought when they drafted him, hey, this is a kid who can hit. He can field his position really well. He might not be the biggest burner you're ever going to see, but he's a very good base runner, uh, could steal a few bags at some point. A lot of 55s and 50s across the board. Power was not one of them necessarily. All of a sudden, now he's hitting 25-plus home runs in his really his first full season. What went into that? And in speaking to him, he said, you know, a lot of people thought 2020 was a bad year, and it was. Everybody would much rather have a regular minor league season, and I'm sure he would have too. But the fact that he didn't have to play games every day allowed him to every day tinker with what he was doing. Every day he was trying to work on something uh, going into, you know, what people call the lab. He was studying his swing. He was trying to study tape, not only on himself, but also on major leaguers in terms of what worked. He had a little bit more of an uppercut swing now in terms of getting a chance to elevate the ball, which is obviously a big part of today's game, but also allows him to get into his power. Um, That's not something he was showing before. Now he's elevating the ball a little bit more. And he also spent a lot of last year getting stronger, working out in the Yankee strength program, you know, so many guys we talked to last year said they were sending video back and forth and they were getting instructions. He was working out in New Jersey and New York, um, spending all that time working on getting strong, working on making sure that his swing is as close to a finished product. And he said, if I was playing games every year last or every day last year, that probably wouldn't have happened. Um, I wouldn't have been able to tinker that much. I would have been much more focused on in-game production. Uh, So he thinks that really, Helped him out. Uh, it was fascinating talking to Damon Oppenheimer, who works in amateur scouting with the Yankees, and then straight up saying, like, yeah, we were confident in a lot of things he could do, but the fact that he's hitting 25 homers already uh, is a surprise even to us. And if that's true, 
because the Yankees had done a lot of work on this guy being a new New Jersey kid. They knew him really well going into the draft. And if he's surprising, even them think of what he's doing to the rest of the industry and the way people have been surprised, you know, he's now our top Yankees prospect on MLB pipeline. And that was through a lot of external sourcing in which people said, listen, all of this is real. Like it's not just scouting the stat line. What he is doing is much better than any of us thought and much quicker than any of us thought. And at a time right now in which, you know, Glaber Torres just moved over to second base and the future of the shortstop position is a big question in the Bronx. I'm not saying Anthony Volpe is going to be a starting shortstop for New York next year or that he shouldn't necessarily figure into their immediate plans with so many shortstops on the free agent market. But it's something to think about. I mean, the, the breakout is very real and he's now one of the most exciting prospects in baseball. And I'm going to be really fascinated to see what the Yankees do next with him and try to figure out. Uh, where he fits in their plans in 2022 and beyond. That comment about the being able to tinker uh, on things last year, Brendan Davis made a very similar comment to that. I asked him about being at the alternate site last year, and he said, you know, it was actually really good to be in a place where I just got to focus on baseball in development. There weren't stats. There weren't games. I wasn't worried about any of that stuff. It was just a constant work on how can I get better as a ball player? Um, and and that was interesting. Marty PD, his manager with Iowa, worked with him last year uh, at the alt site as well. But I feel like a lot of guys uh, do have – those feelings about last, uh, I don't want to call it season for the minor leaguers or for the prospects, but last year, if they got work at the alt site or uh, an instructs or whatever it was. Um, and it's interesting to see that stuff bearing fruit. It's, you know, kind of the, the baseball version of what we hope are uh, some positive legacies that came out of uh, all of us having such a, a rough 2020. Yeah. And, and that wasn't universal either. We should right. say like, the guys we're talking about here are Brendan Davis and Anthony Volpe, who right. are literally ranked back-to-back, 14 and 15 in MLB's top 100. Like, you have to have a certain skill set and a certain internal drive to really work on yourself at a time when there aren't games every day. And you also have to have access to resources. Davis playing at uh, the alt site is certainly one of those. Volpe, uh, it seems like he had a pretty good workout structure up here in Jersey and New York. But still, like, it speaks to those guys that they were able to thrive because I know – a lot of guys were struggling at the beginning yeah. of the year because they didn't have game situations and getting thrown right back into the deep end was not helpful. So the and ones who did only, make the most of it. Only yeah, so many spots in the alt sites and, and things like that too. So for somebody like Anthony Volpe to be able to continuously do that work on your own um, is one thing that's maybe even a little bit more impressive than the guys who did get uh, the opportunity to go to the alt sites, to go to instructs, to go to, to have these opportunities where you're in a more structured environment. Um, and either way, I mean, I really admire uh, not just ball players, but anybody who was able to make it through last year in a way where um, they utilized some of that time and, and were able to be productive in it uh, because it was not an easy uh, stretch of time for any of us to do that in any context. So pretty impressive for these guys as, uh, as young ball players to do that. Yeah, for sure. It's maybe this will be, what was it that Shakespeare wrote under quarantine? Yeah. I don't remember those memes went around so <laughs> early just, on. Uh, yeah. That was a, a meme joke going around the internet. Of like, yeah. Of like, it? Oh, look at what happened during the black death. All of these people accomplished amazing things shortly thereafter. And I was like, yeah, I'll be lucky to just not be 800 pounds. Hey, we watched the Sopranos. That's true. We did. <laughs> that is true. We both did uh, go through the Sopranos and uh, that was an accomplishment. Um, you know, it's, a little bit less than climbing to, you know, triple A at 22 or whatever Brendan Davis is doing. But, um, you know, we all have our things. Hey, I'm just saying I'm prepped for many saints of Newark now. Same, same, which is going to be in theaters. I was not expecting that. I thought it was just going to be an HBO Max release. That's in theaters, though. 
Oh, I know that uh, that's a discussion for another podcast, but I know David <laughs> Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, was actually pretty incensed that it's going on HBO Max. Oh, ah, interesting. He, he kind of cut his teeth on HBO. Yeah, on HBO. Uh, but I get it. Like you, you get told you are making a Sopranos movie. Right. You want as many people to see it on the big screen as possible. Um, not to be told, oh yeah, it's just going to be like everything else. And it's going to kind of feel like another episode of Sopranos, which would be disappointing. Tune in next week for uh, the pilot episode of our new podcast, The Show Before the Sopranos. <laughs> be Who's crazy. who? <laughs> I'll, I'll just wear a tracksuit and we'll figure it out later. Okay. Yeah, it works. We can each do that. I'll eat a lot of prosciutto. Um, it'll be great. Uh, all right. That's three strikes for this week's episode. We've got uh, maybe a, a ghostly cameo coming up and then we're back to wrap it up next. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one was as real as you or i the others were imaginary friends. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The San Francisco Knickerbockers. B. The St. Louis Trouser Wearers. C. The Denver Dungarees. Well, bust my britches, A. The San Francisco Knickerbockers suited up in Bay Area baseball in the tail end of the 19th century. The team's name likely threads back to when New Yorkers in San Francisco formed a Knickerbocker Association in 1851, and the moniker was stitched to a few amateur ball clubs in the years that followed. <laughs> a few decades later, the Golden Gate City formally tossed their Knickerbockers into the Pacific League. The Sacramento Daily Union recounts a mid-June game from 1879 in which the visiting Knickerbockers beat the pants off the hometown team. <laughs> a San Francisco pitcher, the only Nolan, who'd played for Indianapolis in the National League the previous year, one hit the Sacramento Blue Stockings. The Knickerbocker 9 is composed of men above the average in size and muscular development, the newspaper reported and their general playing is credible. The story went on to say that the only Nolan had spent the afternoon pitching balls with great rapidity and just where he liked. But the only Nolan, perhaps the best pitcher in the West, had been a Knickerbocker only because, according to the Humboldt Times, he'd been expelled from the National League for allegedly unprofessional conduct. And he was, quote, honorably reinstated, end quote, in the majors by mid-October 79. 
In the end, the Knickerbockers put their trousers on one leg at a time, just like anybody else. After hemming and hawing, they appeared in the 81 and 86 versions of the California League, and when the Sacramento Daily Union had occasion to report on a game between them and the Eurekas in July of 86, it was something of a waste. The paper writing, The contest was close and at times very interesting, but its excellence was marred by the wrangling and kicking indulged in. When a public game of baseball is played and an admission fee charged, the players should then consider themselves bound to act so as to please their patrons. And that's the inseam scoop on the dirty knees of the Knickerbockers. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these agricultural devotees dedicated their time to the ball fields and the miners? A. The Jacksonville Orange Juicers. B. The Appleton Cider Men. C. The Kalamazoo Celery Pickers. Want to know the answer? Go to a yard and dig. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is in a race from the Fisherman's Wharf to the Giant's Ballpark. And after his mad ascent of Russian Hill, his legs have seized up in the Tenderloin District. Final segment of the 2021 season. Um, obviously, minor league baseball has not been, um, you know, left untouched by the uh, the rise of the Delta variant and, and coronavirus as the 2021 season has gone on. All of that, we have seen games postponed and, um, you know, teams that have dealt with it. But, man, if you would have told me back in April that we were going to make it to September and the season would feel as this season has um, – I think we all would have been pretty thrilled. Uh, this has been a, a challenging season, obviously, in a lot of ways. I know kind of the interesting thing is I know a lot of front offices have sort of looked at it as this is the, um, you know, the dress rehearsal for 2022 um, coming into the ballpark and doing things and getting back into the mode of it. Uh, and next year, hopefully, is when we can blow the doors off and, uh, you know, really have a normal season. But um, now we, we made it, you know, for the most part. Uh, relatively unscathed through a, a baseball season, which is pretty incredible stuff. Yeah. I mean, the peaks and valleys that were still involved. Yeah. And, and still a reminder that we are not through this. I mean, I, I, the amount of times I've logged on and, and found out another series or game has been canceled due to COVID, even in August and September, has been maddening considering where we were where, or where we thought we were in June and July. Right. For example. Um, but still, like you said, like if you looked back in March and April, and we were thinking, okay, maybe we're going to get in a season here. Maybe it can feel like normal. And all of a sudden, here we are talking about the playoffs again. And that feels somewhat normal. Um, I will take that. After 2020, any sense of normalcy, I will take. Yeah. Um, so hopefully 2022 is even better than this. Hopefully we don't have to deal with all of this. There's still steps that we could all take. Getting vaccinated, if you're not already, is the biggest one you can personally do um, at any walk of life, but also especially in baseball, whether it's you being somebody who wants to go to the ballpark, if you are a player, if you are a coach, if you are a member of an organization, uh, getting vaccinated is a big way that hopefully by 2022, we're not even talking about any type of COVID delay or COVID cancellation or postponement or anything like that. And we can all move to that past this, but this was a big step and I'm really glad we made it to this point. 
Amen to all of that. And uh, tune in this weekend at Milk TV if you can't find your way out to a ballpark. And uh, it should be a fun one as we close out this regular season here in 2021 and head on to postseason play. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.